Hi there, welcome to the podcast at Live Edge. My name is Dan, and we're going to be talking about some things happening in the music industry, past, present, and future, that are awesome. So let's get into it. I wonder if you can picture this. It's late, and you have work tomorrow, but it doesn't matter. You're in one of your favorite spots. This dingy parking lot and restaurant bar combination is an absolute favorite of yours, and you're here every week. You're standing in the parking lot outside the restaurant, and you're there with three other people, three musicians, and all three of you have guitars. You're trying to figure out which chord goes where for the song that you're about to go up and play, and everyone's got this green look on their face. Where is that green hue coming from? You realize that that's the fluorescent light from the sign that shows out to the parking lot the name of the restaurant. Everyone's having a good time. You're laughing and you're having fun. It's open mic night. So you go up and you play your song and you do okay. And uh, you you get approached by one of the older guys, uh, elders in the group of musicians, who wants to talk to you a little bit about the Hendrix tune that you had just played. And you go up to him and start talking to him. And he tells you the same thing every musician in that room is going to tell you at some point. He says something to the effect of the music industry is dead and the music that he listens to is dead. And that's why he never made it. Now, what do you say in this situation? I think you've got a few options and none of them are good, but you're going to have this conversation at some point. You can either debate him and get into that argument with him that the music industry is in fact alive despite what he tells you, or you can just blindly agree with him and tell him that he's right. Neither option is good because neither option is technically correct. So I think that's what we're going to talk about on the second episode of the podcast at Live Edge. So first of all, when you argue that the music industry is not dead, you're not fighting a losing battle because it's simply not true. The music industry isn't dead. It's doing just as well as it did in the 60s and 70s during the time that this person that you're arguing with has in his head that the music industry was was more successful during this time. It's just figuring out how to adapt to the change in philosophy defining the industry's consumption model right now. So I think it's pretty fair to say and to argue in this situation that the music industry has always been whack. <laughs> and when we figure out that good music is the difference between what is successful and what is trying too hard, between old and new, we can start making money. We can start having fun, again, as musicians. So if you're going to take this stance, you need a solid example of why your argument is correct. Think about Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack and their clean sweep at the 2022 Grammys. Their outfit, Silk Sonic, I kid you not, won four Grammys 
for which they were nominated. They won Best R&B Performance, Best R&B Song, Song of the Year, and Record of the Year. And this was their first project together. Uh, Silk Sonic was really introduced in 2017 when Anderson Pack was the opening act for Bruno Mars on his European tour for 24K Magic World tour. So Anderson Pack and Bruno Mars became friends during their tour. And so they said that, you know, we'll always kind of have this on the back burner. And it wasn't until the pandemic when there was a lot of confusion. Are we going to be able to make music? Are we ever going to be able to tour again? Had, uh, was surrounding the music industry. And he basically said, okay, like, you know, they said, let's do it. Let's create an album. And they made a masterclass throwback album, uh, you know, R&B, funk, amazing melody lines, uh, fantastic instrumentation. And you look at the theory behind these songs and it's all rock solid. Fantastic. And the fact of the matter is that all reviews for this outfit say that they loved it. And those that didn't, just complain that it wasn't long enough and it was only a passion project. And you can't fault two musicians who have successful solo careers for wanting to have fun and doing a side project. I think that's completely fair. Um, also, a note that a Grammy nomination doesn't always translate to what you think it translates to, which is just tons and tons of record sales. I think it can translate into a million different things. And depending on your band, depending on your your act, your performance, you're going to run into a million different examples of how a Grammy nomination has influenced what you see when you walk into a venue, when you have a conversation with an executive for a record label, things like that. Um, yeah, I mean, think about it this way. Don't take my word for it. Listen to what actual successful national and international touring musicians have said about a Grammy nomination. Uh, Matt Schultz, you might know him from Cage the Elephant, said that, uh, you know, in 2015, after his nomination for Best Alt Album for Melophobia, that people heard and listened to his record and his band in a different light after the Grammy nomination. And he said it definitely opened up some doors for us and created opportunities that he didn't necessarily see as, as reasonable before then. Um, I think another aspect of a Grammy nomination might be the added credibility that you receive once you have your Grammy nomination or your Grammy win. Here's a quote from Tori Kelly. When I see the phrase Grammy nominated or Grammy winner in front of something, it kind of makes you feel like this person is legit. So right there, Tori Kelly has something different to say than what Cage the Elephant had to say, than what tons of other musicians have to say, than what Silk Sonic would have to say. So... What did Silk Sonic receive when they, they received four Grammy wins, not nominations, wins? And I think, you know, if, if I had to guess, I've never been Grammy nominated, but if I had to guess that the common thread between all of these artists that they experience 
when they win a Grammy or are nominated for a Grammy is that they get more creative license to do what they want to do when they create music and when they create a live performance. While it could be credibility or it could be record sales or it could be ticket sales, the common thread that each of these things that an artist might experience if they were to be Grammy nominated or win a Grammy is that they get more creative license and creative control over the thing that they are making. Now, Silk Sonic, it is undeniable that they understand that you have to really believe in your project and you have to believe in every decision that you make when you decide what your project is going to look like, feel like, vibe like, sound like. And it is not an easy feat, but they made it look easy when they put out their music videos and their Grammy performances. So what does that prove? What is the message that Silk Sonic can deliver for you when you're uh, you're in the, the throes of an argument with someone who's saying that the 60s and 70s had better music than the music today. And in fact, the music today proves the industry is dead. Well, I think it's fair to say that Silk Sonic proves that musicianship is still king. Every once in a while, you're going to get a band or a solo performance that puts the music and the musicianship first. And people are going to respond to that. I also think that, you know, music is out there. You just have to find it. And if you're just listening to the top 40 on the radio, that is grocery store music. And grocery rockers are not going to be giving you what you want. So to look at them and say that's the standard for everything is is not fair. Um, there's more music out there than ever before, and the industry is, is figuring that out now. So I think it's just evolving to the world today. If your argument is that the industry is dead because it isn't being controlled by those who are musicians at heart, um, I, I'm not sure that that's really a sound argument either. And you can point to a band called The Wrecking Crew and how they influenced music. This was a group of uh, largely unhired and uncredited musicians that affected the sound of the records they worked on for decades. In the 60s and 70s, they were absolutely on top of the world and all your favorite records and all your favorite artists, their sound was influenced by this group. Um, it sounds to me like the Wrecking Crew, you know, while they still received uh, membership into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in the year 2000 and are widely recognized as talented musicians, I think that the problem that you're describing in today's music is very similar to the problem that a lot of musicians probably felt during the 60s and 70s when there, when, a, you know, a totally different band came in and played their song to them for them. So, uh, you know, I think to really diagnose what your complaint is about the music industry correctly is important here. And, you know, 
to explain that the listener model is adapting is, is really important because that's the problem that this person that you're arguing with is, is really feeling. It's that he, do, he or she doesn't know how to properly go about this new world of like freemium access to any music that you, that you want. And so, you know, it's the technology is changing so fast that musicians who don't keep up, they're going to become washed up musicians at an open mic. Um, it's difficult to get started as a musician today because 80% of listeners are going to be accessing your music for free and they will not be paying for it. So the remaining 20% is literally going to have to pay for a hundred percent of listeners. So what does that mean? It means that today, if something is for a hundred percent of an audience, it's grocery music. It's average. And, you know, our listener model is based on an attention economy. So you have to also give a lot of attention to the 20% that's going to pay for your music, merch, ticket sales, whatever. Um, you don't want to be average. So focus on that core principle of 80 20. Uh, it's, it's a steadfast rule. And, uh, if you're just getting started now, I think that that's something that you, you know, may want to talk to this person about. So if you find yourself floundering in an argument about whether music is dead or alive, this I think is a good map to get you where you want to go so that you can have that conversation that uh, you need to have if you're starting out as a musician. For this episode of the podcast at Live Edge, we also took the opportunity to interview Julie and Jamie from Sweet Lita to talk about how to release an album in today's day and age and also what their thoughts are on touring and playing throughout the DMV. It's a great interview, uh, super excited to share it with you. So stick around and enjoy. I mean, that might be the story of it, but like, when, like, when do you guys first meet? Like, how this whole thing uh, come about? I think we met 21 years ago. It was a long time. Where? It was a long time. Was, like, uh, describe it. He played in a band called Pinfold, and um, I was a huge fan of Pinfold, and I had befriended them, and I would go out to see their shows. Um, but I, I took a little bit of a break. Uh, I don't remember. I was just really busy um, at the time, but I saw that they were playing on my birthday at Rock Bottom Brewery in Bethesda, and they had a new bass player. So, um, so I brought my girlfriends out. We're going to go out to dinner, and then we're going to uh, stay for the show. And this guy shows up, <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh man, he's so cute." <laughs> how old were you? How old were you then? Oh, I guess I was like twenty-three. 
We met so young. We met really young. And how long have you been together now? Mm-hmm. Since then. Now it's been an age. So a number of years. Oh, since 01. A lot of years. <laughs> End of 01. Uh, yeah, you know, it's so funny. Like, I mean, I'm, I definitely knew meeting him. Something's different. Something when was is, the first time you guys played music together? Something is up. Oh, um, at your parents' house. Um, his stepfather played guitar and was a songwriter. And uh, he was a wonderful cook. And when Jamie would go visit them in Chestertown at this beautiful little house in the woods, they would have dinner, they would have wine, they would play music together. So the first time I showed up, I just had an acapella, like, choral background. Um, yeah. I had never done, like, a band thing. So um, we had a lovely dinner. We had wine. And, and then he and his stepfather retired to the living room. And, and his um, stepdad, Don Carlson, grabs the guitar and... And, and Jamie, you were playing bass with him? Oh, so yeah. That's that, okay. that saying bass. Oh, yeah. That's where I picked up the bass. And then his mom, Dorothy, would pick up the tambourine, and, and they would do their thing. And then Don said, um, hey, Julie, you know, I heard that you sang. Like, you know, what are you going to sing? And so I said, well, I know the song Fever from my acapella group. Was so, that the first song? Um, yeah. That was, was that the first song you guys played together? Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Don starts playing guitar, and I just I, I followed along, and then Julie started singing, and I think we got halfway through the song, and he stopped playing. And he looked at me, and he said, where the fuck did you find her? <laughs> wow. And then we started playing. And then, and then he said, I think we have ourselves a band. So, yeah, we started playing music with family together. That and that's, that's where the lead it comes from, was from the band with um, Stepfather. So the next, that was my obvious next question, which everyone has asked, like how the band name come up, come together, right? Yeah, we, um, well, when we have this family band, we need to figure out what the hell we're going to call ourselves. And coming up with a band name is so difficult. So I had a CD that I absolutely loved. And the group was called Ida. They're very obscure. And I really thought that Jamie's stepfather, Don, would really love it. Really beautiful harmonies. And so I gave the CD to him and sure enough, he really loved it. But he could never remember the name of the artist. It was Ida, but he would say, Lita, Lida, so when we were coming up with a family band name, we thought it would be kind of funny to name ourselves either Lita or something about Lita. Lita or Lida. So, um, because he we couldn't would say Ida. Yeah. He just could never remember it. So whenever we would get together for band practice, first we would have a beautiful meal with wine and then to know which wine is yours, we would have wine glass charms on the stems of the glasses. So we decided So we decided on Lita's charm. And that's how we became 
latest charm with the family. I like that. Why would it change? Yeah, it was very sweet. And I feel oh, like... because he it, passed away. Yes. So um, he passed away, and we were not going to uh, have the family band without him anymore. Yeah, so that was pretty... It had, it had the... Yeah. Yeah, so we took the, the Lita to honor Don and family. Because our band, our other band at the time was called Bittersweet. And so Bittersweet needed a new name, and Lita's Charm ended when Don passed, and so Bittersweet and Lita's Charm became Sweet Lita. At that, at that point, were you just playing cover songs? Were you wearing original music at that point? Oh, no. Well, well, Don had um, a lot of original, so we just And we worked together with Don. Yeah, we did. But then um, with our um, little project, uh, I was a little shy about writing. You know, I didn't really know how to do it. Like, how do you write a song when you're not a songwriter? <laughs> but um, they, they said one day, you all right, well, you don't know yet that you're a songwriter. Well, you know, that's the thing is you don't think that you're an artist unless you're an artist. Like, how do you get to that point? So, so I was feeling really shy. I've never been like confident, but they said, okay, finally, um, Julie, if, if you're not going to write songs, you know, we need to bring someone in to do it for you. And I was like, damn it. I don't need someone to write this for me. I can do it, you know. So I started doing it. I can, I can play a little piano and, and uh, I started writing songs. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing, but I would bring these, these, easy crap songs with all the emotion to the to the band and they would say this is terrific you know let's let's start here and i had no idea that you could just give something a shot and that it would be okay like i, I remember specifically that we brought in we brought in a lyricist he was a hip-hop artist he was a really good lyricist uh named big sean who uh kevin my business partner who was producing this yeah and um Big Sean wrote two, he wrote lyrics to two, maybe three songs of ours. And they were good songs, and I think one or two of them we still play. Um, and then and then Julie finally came in with a song that she wrote the lyrics for. And Sean came over, and he, he heard the recording of, of this song that Julie wrote the lyrics for. And Sean looked at, at her and said, I'm not writing for you I remember, I, I feel like I can still picture this. If I'm not making this up, I feel like I can picture Sean saying, I'm not writing for you anymore because I hear the difference in how you sing your words versus how you sing what I wrote. And you sing the lyrics that you wrote with, with so much more feeling, I'm not writing for you anymore. You know how to do this. Your own. Truly, what was the, that, so that song, what was, what was that song? What was the first song that you wrote? I don't remember the first one. It could have either been uh, It Wasn't was it Me or Let Them Go. Is that out oh, there anywhere? Was it recorded somewhere? Mm -hmm. Is it out oh, there? yeah. On our first... Actually, I think they're both on our first album. Mm -hmm. um, the album is called Me, The Music. And there's something wonderful about the earliest songs because when you don't put any pressure on yourself... You can do anything that you want. What was your last album you did? 
Well, we're actually finishing one. Just about to release it. Um, we just got it mastered. Uh, it's uh, We have two full albums, Meet the Music and Let It In. And we're just finishing an EP called Try to Hold On. And it took us a long time because of COVID, but also we, we were just sort of... Um, Gave ourselves uh, some time to have our uh, producer mix it. And, and we just knew there's no rush, man. You know, like, let's let it ride. So took the time. and But um, I'm happy with how it turned out. But now, I don't know how to release an album. (laughs) People don't have CDs. Like we release it on social media, like on digitally, like it's very confusing. That is that like, that is it. Yeah. You are right. I don't know how to release. What to do? It it is no longer like the days of here's a 12 song album that that are all cohesive. Yeah. It is a time where like, so there's weird. two songs, three. Send there's, it off. Here's a 40 second song. Messenger yeah. pigeon, and then they fly it off into the movies. <laughs> I don't know. Like, this is so different and so weird. How to release an album has, has changed since yeah. we last released an album. Yeah. And, 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 and so now we understand that we have to release, you know, before we were all about trying to sell CDs and sell it on iTunes and Amazon. And now, realistically, it's just streaming because people have subscriptions to these the streaming platforms. But now you can't just release it and, because it just goes off into the ether. You have to pre-release. So apparently now you have... Like, the way to release an album is you have to get people to pre-save. Oh. They're, not, they're not even pre-buying anymore. They're just... You're pre-saving on Spotify and pre-saving yeah. on Apple Music so that when you launch it... It gets a whole lot of hits all at once. Is there money to be made anymore? Like, as an original artist that's at a not the level of Beyonce and whoever else. There's money to be spent. (laughs) We know that. This is a question I I put back to you, sir. They they want want you to put money into Spotify so that you pop up sooner than other artists. Yeah. So the thing to do is is to pay money, and then your music shows up quicker and more frequently. Um, I don't really. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know. I haven't cracked the code. Like, I don't know where we're going to go to monetize this stuff if we want to, or do we just play it for the love of music right. at that point? Well, some like, people will say that you know, if, if you put some money on it, then uh, people will hear you more. And then when you're playing your shows, you know, you'll see me the return in fans or whatever. I don't know. But Higher attendance, more tickets. It's tough. It's very it uncomfortable. Tough. It gets yeah. tough. Like live shows, how much of your business is like live? How often do you play a year? How how many times do you get out there a year to play? I mean, pandemic changed for a lot of people. Yeah. It changed our, our format. So now we are, we're just like three or four times. Because we're not... We're not doing long tours with like consecutive dates, so we play about three, four, yeah. maybe five shows. Our guitarist has two amazing children, and and 
you know, we don't want to take him away from them if we don't feel like there's a reason to, you know, like we're playing a huge festival and a great opportunity, wonderful. But if we're just going out of town to uh, just play some some gigs, you know, like we don't we don't want to take him away from his family. His, his little kids are wonderful, and, and um, so we used to try to push these, uh, you know, week two week tours, and because we worked, but um, but now you know YouTube, and you can reach a lot more much larger audience so it's just different and we um haven't figured it out yet yeah there <laughs> are not, there there aren't like a lot of anybody today can record play music put it on tiktok spotify whatever so there's a huge competition for listeners for ears and try to get money from that, like corporations like above that are, I guess, like and we're trying to figure out how how do we do that? Like what are we like and why are we doing this stuff? I mean to think, like people could have done anything with their Saturday night. They chose to come to see music, you know, or they could have done anything with their birthday. And this is what they want to do. And it's hard these days. I feel like a lot of people um don't value live music as much as they did so when when you do find that small pocket of people who it's still alive you know it's still a thing <laughs> um there's nothing like it you know i think of everything that you said there's the only thing that i would challenge was the live music and the people coming out and that's but it's what you were talking about we can all go to spotify we can like turn on our iPhones, we can listen to music, but coming out and seeing live music, that's where people connect. Like we've all been at shows. Like we look around, we see people shaking hands, like getting together, like listening to what we're doing. Songs that you've written, people dancing, singing to people. You have enough songs that are known that people like will sing and dance and stuff like that. And it's like, it's a great thing. It's a wonderful feeling. Oh, yeah. I feel like, uh, well, at this point, it's just a family. You know, I feel like uh, people know that if you come to the Spilita show, like, we've got your back. You know, like, if you're a little um, worried about people accepting you or, or being comfortable around others, like, it's a loving crowd. I think people know, like, you can come out to a show and you will find a familiar face and, you know, you will be loved. Nothing more than that, right? Cheers. Thank you, guys. Oh. No. <laughs> That's been the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Dan. Have a great rest of your week.